um, as I was sitting getting ready to come up, I was feeling a little more anxious than usual and thinking, is it what I'm about to say? But then I realized, no, I just had too much coffee this morning. <laughs> some at home, some here. So pray with me as I start. God, still my fluttering heart. Um, and just bring us into a deeper awareness and experience of the kind of freedom and liberation that you have for all of us. Amen. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So I was recently having a time of talking and praying with a friend about a particularly painful period from my childhood. It was an extended period. Stretched from like third grade through the end of high school. <laughs> and the reason that it was painful is that I had made it my goal to be included in a specific group of friends who were never going to welcome me. Why I chose them is kind of a mystery. They weren't amazingly or particularly cool. They weren't amazingly or particularly athletic. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> you know, and the deeper why we choose to try to grab hold of things that are unattainable, you know, psychologists have wrestled with for a long time. But it was a real ongoing experience with me for years, being obviously and explicitly excluded from this group of people that I wanted to be a part of. And looking back, I realize there were other social groups that I could have joined in with freely and easily with whom I would have been happy. But my lived experience was that every time Friday night would roll around and I'd know there'd be a party somewhere, I'd start calling to try to find out where it was. My phone calls wouldn't be answered. And this was before there was caller ID, so it was a little bit mysterious. And then I'd get in my car and start driving around and try to find the party where everybody else was hanging out, and I wouldn't. And so I still have memories of those Friday nights and of those experiences and of those years, sometimes showing up at the right place and knowing that I had not been invited that I really wasn't wanted there, that something about my presence diminished the joyfulness <laughs> of whatever else was going on. And because of that, I internalized ideas about myself. Something like, there is a mysterious flaw in me that others can perceive and detect that causes me to be undesirable, that causes me to be an object of exclusion. So I'm talking through this, and we shift to the time with my friend when we're going to pray about it. And, has, and as has become the case for me, I am aware of, I invite Jesus to be present to this experience, to this hurtfulness, to this pain. 
And I anticipate that Jesus is going to be helpful. So the spirit, the being of God present to me in the form of Jesus. And I feel Jesus doing what I have come to anticipate Jesus will do. Jesus starts saying true things into this false narrative that I have of myself. Jesus says to me, actually, <laughs> was the first I remember Jesus saying, yeah, that probably wasn't going to work, right? <laughs> right? This endeavor wasn't going to work. This was not about vilifying this group of friends. Jesus just saying, it wasn't going to happen but not because there's some deep and profound flaw in you. Not because there is something about you that is inherently or through and through problematic. Jesus saying to me, I find you endlessly interesting. I find you to be lovely. You are lovely. A bit quirky, perhaps, but nothing wrong with that. And so I feel Jesus saying to me these things that are supplanting the falsehood, supplanting the deception, supplanting the wrong narrative, the wrong statements of identity that I have about myself, and putting in their place the truth of God about me. And what I'm aware of is that in addition to this being healing, like, oh, that feels a lot better, I know it's going to make a difference in my lived experience going forward that the freedom and liberation that come to me from the removal of deception, of falseness, it is going to cause me to be able to better inhabit social relationships now because those voices and ideas and truths that had gotten into me way back then still colored my anticipation of what was going to be the case now. So my social relating was going to be better and my general freedom to flourish to become more this self that Jesus seemed to feel pretty good about was going to be expressed more fully and meaningfully going forward. It's a different conception of liberation and freedom than the first thing that comes to mind for the most part. The standard conception of freedom, of liberation, that comes to mind first and foremost for most of us is as a release from confinement. You, or me, or people around us have been forced to inhabit nefarious systems of control, where we've been required to do things we don't really want to do, where we've been prohibited from doing things we kind of would like to do. And so our conception of liberation and freedom is as of a release from those things, getting out of jail emancipation from slavery. It's also a thing that's pretty common experience or a common notion of the experience of religion, right? Religion, as an institution, often imposes constraints on behavior, makes us do things we kind of don't really want to do, and prohibits us from doing things that seem kind of fun and enticing and appealing. My experience of religion in my youth, for example, we had to go to catechism on Wednesday night, but we couldn't go to parties Friday night unless they were chaperoned and there was no alcohol, right? which increased the diciness of my search for the party. 
And so what happens when we experience liberation or freeing is we respond to the constraints. It's mostly about coming out from under the constraints. So we resolve, I'm never again going to do the things that I was forced to do, and I'm going to start doing those things that, I, that were off limits before, because that looks kind of fun. Right? And so this becomes... the. Am I on still? Okay. And so this becomes the dominant metaphor, the dominant conception of what freedom means. It's a conversation that's relevant to our experience as a faith community because we as a church over the past 10 to 15 years, a part of our identity, central to identity, is this coming out from under the imposition of constraints that we had come to deeply question, that we had come to feel were flawed. Constraints that forced us to do things we didn't want to do and that put off limits thoughts, feelings, activities, behaviors that we thought we actually wanted to engage in. Right? The problem becomes, or a challenge becomes, if the dominant construct of freedom is simply liberation from constraint. So now you get to do what you want to do. You can make unfettered choices. If that's the end point, it seems to me, and the scriptures that we'll look at suggest, that we are missing out on a deeper conception of freedom that God wants to bring to us. So I want to read to you a quote from um, a philosopher and a Christian named David Bentley Hart. He's a moral philosopher I've come to appreciate his thought about a whole lot of topics um, and also his understanding of the Bible. He's, actually, he's the, the author, the creator of a translation of the New Testament that I use most frequently now. He's also thought deeply about things like the nature of freedom. And so here's from David Bentley Hart. It's kind of a mashup of a number of different quotes from him. And then I've taken some liberties so he wouldn't recognize it, but I'm giving him credit. So he writes, in late Western modernity, the highest ideal of the good society has become simply democracy as such, institutionalized as unfettered individualism, the defining feature of which is the unobstructed power of choice. And so we elevate what should at best be regarded as the moral life's minimal condition to the status of its highest expression thereby reducing freedom to a kind of unconstrained spontaneity, to the mere indeterminate possibility of choosing anything or everything. But Christian thought instead asserts that true freedom consists in the full realization of a complex nature in the setting of its own proper good. Freedom is a living being's power to flourish, to become ever more fully what it naturally is. The freedom of an oak seed is not that it could choose, I'm sure he knew that was an acorn, but the freedom of an oak seed <laughs> is not that it could choose to become a maple tree or a tulip or to not grow. The freedom of an oak seed is its unimpeded growth into an oak tree. The freedom of a human being is its complete expression in union with God. 
And this classical Christian understanding of freedom requires belief both in the existence of our creative natures in us destined for flourishing and in a transcendent good, in other words, God, towards which our natures ceaselessly yearn. We are created according to a divine design after the divine image oriented towards a divine purpose. We are free not when we can choose anything, but instead when we can effectuate our flourishing towards the good. True freedom is thus dependent upon true perceiving and true sanity of mind that produces ever more complete knowing of truth. To the very degree that any of these are deficient, freedom is diminished. The more we are freed from illusion and deception, the more our will is freed to be animated by the good. There alone, our true happiness lies. So Bentley Hart acknowledges the need for release from constraint, for release from confinement, for release from the imposition on us, typically externally, of either self-serving or nefarious requirements and constraints. In response to which, as often, <laughs> I'm never going to do that again, and I'm really going to do a lot of this other thing, right, that we couldn't before do. All of which is good and necessary. But he's also aware, and I think the Bible writers too, that if that's where freedom ends, we are missing out on something more. And you and I know this, right? When you engage in something that has been off limits to you because of a prohibition, because of a constraint, <laughs> let's say for me, I've been dieting. <clears throat> and so maybe I've joined with a group or I'm just imposing it on myself and I can't have chocolate and it's day three and I'm fed up. In part because imposition itself or prohibition itself activate, activates the desire for the thing. And as soon as I can't have chocolate, I want chocolate. And so I throw the diet to the wind, day three, I eat a lot of chocolate. Before I'm very far into it, I've had enough chocolate, right? It is not the end in and of itself. It alone does not satisfy. I might be happier because now I can choose to have that if I want. But unfettered choice is not the end point. It is not the location of meaning, meaningfulness, purposefulness. I also don't think that just unfettered choosing, freedom from constraints, from the imposition of constraints, is the highest ideal of God. It just doesn't seem to me like what God is after in the end is that all of us get to choose whatever we want. Right? That seems like it's setting the bar kind of low. I don't think that the human ability to choose is the ultimacy that God's attempt to produce freedom for us is driving towards. And so here's what Paul has to say about this, okay? He writes, and this is in the book of Romans, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, God, it is God's very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we in fact suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. Creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. And so Paul, to me, he talks elsewhere at length about liberation from constraint, liberation from rules, from systems of imposition, from requirements and prohibitions as a necessary precursor. It is the case that all systems that impose constraint, even if the focus seems to be on specific behaviors, what you have to do, what you are prohibited from doing, at the center often is this deeper constraint of identity, of flourishing. Systems are threatened by your full expression, the full expression of your person, right? Because there might be aspects of your person that the system wants to control, wants to keep hidden, wants to tamp down. So the general experience of liberation from systems, from imprisonment, from confinement is a reality. But Paul is deeply aware of this liberation from deception, from falsehood, from wrong ideas into a kind of flourishing. I think when Paul uses the word glory, which is a religious word that, you know, is not a part of our common speech, I think he's really just going after the expression of flourishing. He sees the possibility of you and me coming into a kind of glorification that is an an outcome, a product of the freedom that comes to us through God. And specifically here through Jesus, through the work, the action, the connection of Jesus, Paul sees it transforming us into something amazing. Not just people who can run around choosing to do whatever we want and we don't have to do, you know, it's like, no, I'm saying no. It is much deeper and more powerful and dramatic and grand than freedom of choice. And for Paul, it's clear, it is a deeply spiritual experience. This is not something that just comes to us from reading a book or having an insight or a good therapist. This is an experience of connecting with God. 
right? Paul envisions the being of God coming to you, coming to me, forming a connection with us, inhabiting some portion of our internal space. And this connection, this presence, this mind of God, this revelation of God, this insight of God speaks to you and me a deep truth about who you are, who God is, the nature of things, what's important, what's meaningful, what's purposeful, how life really works. And so truth supplants falsehood. Revelation supplants deception. And a metaphor that Paul really presses hard is the transformation. This produces an identity transformation within us that affects every thought that we have about ourselves from slavery, from being a slave to being a child. And Paul is not here talking about, you know, sometimes child is used to describe immaturity. Paul here is talking about the identity of descent. That becoming a child communicates to you, puts into you the truthfulness that you are derived from God. And so it's a conception not just of I've got a pretty awesome parent, right? And I carry within me something of that. It is also a reality of access that an heir, a child, has a different kind of access to the good stuff of God, to the riches, the resources, the rights, the privileges, all of it, all of which is designed to produce a glorification, a kind of flourishing that could not happen but for that transformation of identity. (laughs) So Paul has an amazing vision of what it means for us to connect with the Spirit of God to facilitate this. The last thing I'll say about his conception is it is profoundly social. This is not something like, I want to flourish, because flourishing sounds awesome, right? (laughs) Flourishing sounds better than not flourishing. For my whole self to be fully expressed, that just sounds great. I'm thumbs up with that. That sounds like a lot of fun. But Paul is aware that this is not just for me. The end point is not that I have a good time. The end point is you. The end point is creation. Creation waits for you, for me to be fully expressed in part because your flourishing benefits creation, in part because you serve as a model then for others around you, for people around you. Your flourishing, my flourishing, is essential to the well-being, to the flourishing, the glorification of us all. Right? This kind of liberation, this kind of freedom produces freedom for the, like Paul thinks, for the cosmos. It's quite a grand vision. So I'm aware as I say this, this is a conception of freedom that I just want to put into the mix as we're thinking and wrestling through what does it mean to have come out from under constraint, from under confinement? How do we find our way into the true freedom that God is after? How do we avoid taking a detour into something less, settling for less, 
right? Even the conversation, my guess is some of us are just sort of thumbs up with this. This is how I've been thinking about all along. I'm all in with this. Others of us who have inhabited these systems of constraint that have harmed us. I mean, this still, this conception has guiding principles. It requires some degree of organization, of togetherness, of groupness to it. And for some of us who have inhabited oppressive and harmful systems, the trauma of that makes us reactive. We detect the hint of a whiff of structure, you know, organized religion, the organized word just sets us on edge, right? But I think there is something here for us. And for me, I'll close with this. In my talking prayer time, a part of what I detected, what I felt Jesus saying to me, and just me, I think it's on target, but it's not just Jesus saying, actually, you turned out to be someone who I like, right? It might have been otherwise, but fortunately for you, what I felt Jesus saying to me too was this, well, you know, you are from and of me. Like we are of a kind. I am in you. You are in me. You are from me. And that's a pretty good thing. And so I felt that, like, oh, there is something more to me than I thought. And I felt the potential for the liberation and freedom coming to me from that.